Chapter 7 The following week brought Princess Sistrid's thirteenth birthday. The eve of her first coming of age, this was a special year, and there was a grand feast. Not that commoners were invited, but the meals were festive for everyone that day. Every commons was served high tea, the regular broth and bread plumped out with sugared pastries and glazed fruits, and each child got a piece of ginger candy. In the evening, the Hicksads were herded into the king's banquet hall to line the walls and watch the royal feast. It was a splendid affair. No wooden spoons and bowls on bare boards here, but silver and crystal on starched white linen and rich glazed food piled high on tiered dishes. One long table there was down the centre of the hall. Morok at the head, with Ismorok at his left, and Istrid on his right, decked out for the occasion in a white satin gown with a string of crystals. Her hair, done up in braids, was topped with a crystal circlet. Wiccan took in all that, barely, for his eye had gone straight to her shawl. Delicate as cobweb, it curled like soft grey cloud about her shoulders. Yet, as he gazed upon it, Istrid moved, and that grey stuff shimmered in the brilliant candle flames with all the colours of the rainbow. Following Wiccan's gaze, Tanik leaned over, tipping him a knowing wink. The princess looks very fine tonight, doesn't she? Wiccan didn't hear. He was still staring at the shawl. Where had she gotten it? he wondered. So fine and rare it was, too fine and rare to have been made by Krigmoran hand. Tanik dug him with his elbow. I said, the princess looks very fine tonight, doesn't she? Wiccan started. Probably. Truth to tell. He much preferred Istrid in plain vest and leggings, with her hair all loose and tossing in the force of argument. Down each side of the table, people sat in order of importance. Next to the king sat Edsia, and beside him, Bomac, looking smug. So much for the king's displeasure, thought Wiccan. Bomac had still wangled a good seat. The moment Wiccan spotted him, Bomac looked up and met his eye. 
Lomax squared his shoulders, puffing out his chest. See, the gesture said, whatever I do, I'll always be your better. For good measure, Beaumac leaned across his father and spoke to Istrid. If she turned from him before he'd finished speaking, he didn't seem to mind. Wiccan shrugged. Was he supposed to envy Beaumac? Well, he did not. He wouldn't want to sit up there with everybody staring at him. In fact, he found it all rather silly. Those folk were just feeding their faces after all. Food went into mouths, just as it did in the commons. What was so fascinating about watching it here? He shifted from one foot to the other. His companions seemed to be enjoying the show, though, commenting on who everybody was and who was wearing what. For lack of other distraction, Wiccan made bets with himself as to who would finish first. Bomac, he decided, the way he was shoveling up his dessert. Putting on a spurt, Morok beat him by a short head and summoned his musicians. Though the players often performed for Morok, ordinary folk rarely heard them. Wiccan never had. There were six musicians in all, and all had a different instrument. The largest was a horizontal frame filled with shining wires. With the aid of two small mallets, the musician stroked the wires, producing strings of rolling notes that echoed around and around the hall. As the sounds poured out, a second musician started up, blowing high, pure notes through a thin wooden pipe pierced with holes which she stopped with nimble fingers. Wiccan heaved a deep, slow sigh of pleasure, feeling soothed by the interweaving of the melodies. He closed his eyes, picturing himself away from there, in a dim space that went on and on, a forest, maybe. At a sudden loud blare, Wiccan came off the wall, eyes wide, startled. A third musician had tipped a curly brass tube to the cavern roof and was blowing so hard into it that his cheeks bulged. Wiccan slid his fingers up to his ears to shut out the sounds. He couldn't hear the stringed frame or the wooden pipe any more, only the ringing in his head. Just when he could stand it no longer, 
the blaring stopped and a fourth musician started up, puffing out his cheeks like number three, then pushing his breath through a fat coiled tube, making laboured sounds that might have rumbled upward from the Craig's own bowels. To Wiccan's mind, the instrument was as bad as the brass tube, save that it wasn't so loud and painful. Just as he was used to all that, the fifth musician began clashing two brass plates together at undetermined intervals as if children she had been instructed to make sure the audience stayed awake. In case she failed, the sixth beat upon a pelt tight-stretched across a giant copper cauldron. Boom! A boom! Boom! Wigan thought it all too much, just like the feast. He'd much preferred the strings and pipe alone. But the guests at the table seemed happy and applauded loud and long to show the king how much they had enjoyed it. In bed that night, Wiccan thought of those two instruments and wished that he could learn to play them. Fat chance. Musicians passed on their mysteries to their children through each generation, just as some other folk of rank. Dormitory boys would never get near those instruments. Not fair, thought Wigan. Everyone should have a chance at everything. The day after the banquet, Dirick brought into class a giant stem of marsh reed. Still green it was, though its long and narrow blades were fading. See the nodes? Dirick pointed to the swellings on the segmented stem. Like the knuckles on your fingers. This stalk still has life in it. Watch how it gives. Dirick seized both ends of the reed and bent it just a little bit. It grows in the lowlands west of our mountain, in a stretch of bog. Our gatherers harvest it now, in late summer. Our weavers use the leaves to make our rush mats, and our carpenters use young stems to fashion legs and handles for our furniture. Now he turned it end on, showing them its base. Looks solid, doesn't it? But wait. Dirick propped the stem in the beaker ready for them to draw, then produced a bundle of thin dried reeds and passed them around. Put your eye to one end, and you can see clean through to the other. The fact is, they're mostly hollow. Each stem segment is sealed off by a membrane so tough 
that if you could cut a really large reed into sections... Tannik was jumping up and down. Sir! Oh, sir! Yes, Tannik. Didik, always proper, never called Tannik son in class. We make them into drinking cups. Exactly. Didik looked fond, nonetheless. As Tannik guessed, cut the fat reeds at each node with one membrane intact, and you have our wooden drinking cups. Gouge out the membranes and leave the stems intact. You have pipes. The fat ones form the stems and spouts for our public drinking fountains. The thin ones are used for making music. Remember the one the musician played at the royal banquet? We can sat up straight. Those beautiful notes made by this hollow plant stem? He put his reed to his lips and blew until his cheeks ached, but all that came out was a rush of air. How? How would you do that? he called out, quite forgetting to raise his hand. Derek ran his finger along the reed's length. You bore holes at special intervals along here. Don't ask me for details. I'm no pipe maker. To get different notes, you blow down one end of the reed while stopping sets of holes with your fingers. And don't ask me which holes or which fingers, for I'm no musician either. He grinned around at the general laughter. Derek's voice was as tuneful as a rusty old barn door. The plant master collected up the reeds and threw them into his waste bin under the table. Now, take up your slates and get to work. As Wiccan bent over his slate, he glanced to the waste bin thinking of the musician's pipe. Derek seemed to think that making the holes would be complicated, but what did he know? How difficult could it be to make one, really, Wiccan wondered. A reed was only giant grass. A pointed knife should pierce it easily. Given several, he might well produce a workable pipe after just a few tries. He pictured himself with such a reed, blowing through it and making sounds like the ones at Istrid's birthday feast. He got up and meandered over to the specimen table. At the end of class... As the boys swarmed out to the mess hall, Wickham peeled off and sped along to the dormitory. Kneeling beside his cot, he pulled out his locker, raised the lid, and dropped in a handful of reeds from his sleeve. Derek threw you out, he murmured. I shall put you to good use. 
On second thought, he moved them to the bottom of his locker and covered them with clothes. I didn't steal you, he said. Not exactly. But they might not let me keep you after I make you into pipes. And make them he would. Once he had a knife.